Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. And now, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. We are live on the Charity Stripe Podcast with your hosts, Alex, Josh, and Nick. We are back once again. It's the charity stripe pitch free throws because they're free. Joshua Fisher, Alexander Kasapos, Nikki Snacks Crider. We got a special guest on the show today. He plays Chick Hearn in HBO's Winning Time. We got Spencer Garrett joining the boys. Now, Spencer, there's a lot of chickisms, what they call stuff that Chick invented on air. Did you know one of the chickisms was the charity, charity stripe? stripe. Oh. Absolute core. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I, I, That's I, why he said yes to this interview. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're done are we done now done now over? that's it okay. quick interview uh yeah i mean listen an actor prepares i i grew up <laughs> going to games i grew up watching chick so uh when i we shot the pilot two and a half years ago in the fall of 2019 which seems like a million years ago so when i got the gig i went down the rabbit hole of chick land and read his he, he had an autobiography that was in the process of being written when he passed away um i watched hundreds of hours of YouTube videos. So I, I could probably, if I was, uh, if you strapped me down to a chair and put a gun to my head, I could probably rattle off all 200 chickisms. Um, wow. Starting with, starting with the charity stripe, swish, slam dunk, high on the Western sideline, the mustard is off the hot dog, the, you know, the lights are out, the doors closed, the butter's getting hard, all of that. So Butter's uh, getting I mean, hard is a great one. That's the next Butter's getting hard <laughs> and the jello is jiggling. I mean, the jello does jiggle. That could be the just, name. Of, that could be the name of our next po- podcast when we close the doors in the charity stripe. We could be the butters getting hard <laughs> over here. Uh, yeah. You mentioned that that's for that's for your after dark podcast. I yeah, think. right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> the butters getting hard. Yeah. You, you grew up watching Lakers games. Talk to us about how you got the role. Um, kind of your excitement, how you found out the audition process, man. Because obviously your body of work is so incredible. Um, and you know, but I love to hear how you kind of got into this part. I mean, uh, I, I auditioned like, like every other actor. I, I heard this thing was out there in the wind. I'll, I'll, I'll rewind a little bit to a couple of years earlier. I went up to Adam McKay, who I did not know and hadn't met before. Uh, I went up to him at the premiere of uh, Vice. I had a couple of pals in that film, uh, Sam Rockwell, Christian Bale, went up to su- you know, support them. And I went up to McKay afterwards and I just said, look, man, I'm a I'm a huge fan. I've been around for a while. I don't know if I've been on your radar, but I'd love to work with you someday. Just like a, you know, like any actor would, uh, I just kind of went there. And he said, he said, you, you are on my radar. And he said, I would love to work with you one day and we'll make it happen. So that's all I wanted to hear. I was thrilled. Even if it never happened again, at least I got my two cents in with Adam McKay. Cut to three or four years after Vice. Um, I had the Tarantino film come out once upon a time in Hollywood. And I played a guy in that who was sort of an announcery guy. And he kind of talked like this and welcome to Hollywood and all that. And I thought that came out and right around the same time as this thing was being cast. And I saw that there was a Chick Hearn character. And I thought, man, I, this is, I'm so in the pocket for this. I've got to get in the room. I've got to read for, for McKay. And um, so I, I had my reps kind of, uh, reach out to the casting people and, uh, and they got me in the room and I, I had about 10 days to work on it. The sides, the, the script pages that they had me audition were 
basically Chick talking nonstop for like 15 pages, doing the whole color commentary, magic to Kareem, to Worthy, alley-oop, Koopaloop, slam dunk, all of that. And it was just nonstop talking. I found an old polyester suit, an ugly plaid polyester suit with a wide tie. I don't look anything like Chick Hearn. I tried to, my best to look as much like him as I could from photos. And I went in and just dropped the grenade in the room. And just, you know, uh, three weeks later, I got the call. I don't know how many guys were up for the gig, but I think, uh, and I'd heard that McKay had seen the Tarantino film and kind of liked me for this role. So I was, um, I'm, I'm sure I was up against a, a bunch of other, a bunch of other cats for the part. So I was thrilled when I got the gig. And then when I got the call, I was in, uh, I was on vacation with my girlfriend we were overseas and I got a 4 a.m. cell phone call from my agent. And I said, dude, it's four in the morning. I'm asleep. He's like, no, no, you're going to want to take this call. I went outside the, hotel room into the hallway and he said you got the chick hearn thing you got the laker thing and i jumped up in the air and screamed and then i realized i was locked out of the hotel room and i'm (laughs) knocking on the door woke you know woke up woke up dana she came to the door she said what the fuck are you doing in the hallway i said i got the laker gig and then two months later i'm on set and so that's how it happened and then your butter uh, got hard and my butter got so hard that's awesome. You went. You went there. You went there right within the first five minutes. He had to go there within the first five minutes. Impressive. Man. Was That's, he? Was he? Uh, can't hit water if he fell out of a boat. He is right. I, I. That. That sounds like something that's been around a lot longer than Chick. Um. But I'm. I possibly. But that's. That wasn't on my radar. That one wasn't on my radar. But uh, I'm sure he probably used it. Sure. I think he. I think he probably used it. I think in season one, you don't see well as you see coming up in episode eight and nine, the last two that are coming up, there's a lot of basketball being played with the Lakers and the Sixers in the championship game, 79. So you hear, if you listen underneath a lot of the basketball stuff, because I recorded uh, just hours of chick talking under these championship games. So you'll hear a lot of the chickisms. If you don't see them on camera, you'll hear them kind of uh, underneath the dialogue that's, that's being played. So, I that's a good thing. Let's let's Google that. Let's find out if uh, he couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat. That would I would I would I wouldn't be surprised if Chick said it though. Yeah, we could take a look into that. Were there any other commentators you looked at when you were studying for the role? Obviously, you you know you look at Chick, obviously, but you have to kind of. I'm curious see if you look at anybody else's body of work to kind of go off Vin, of that. Ben Scully. Yeah, I mean Ben Scully. Two just two absolute masters of of the craft. Um, Obviously, uh, Johnny Most, I mean, uh, Chick's, Chick's counterpart in Boston. Nobody had as, I don't think anybody had as, as much of a connection to their audience as Chick did. The way he painted pictures with words, um, you know, vocally. Uh, people, that, people that weren't able to watch the games on television, driving in their car, listening on the radio, he had a way of painting a picture and, and creating this atmosphere just with the way he spoke about the game that was unlike anybody other. It was really extraordinary. Vin Scully did the same thing. Um, I, don't know, I don't know that Johnny Most had that, but he certainly had as iconic a vibe as Chick did on the East Coast and with the Celtics. But, mm-hmm. um, but Chick, was, Chick was in a whole other class. He was just in a, in a, in a class by himself. He, nobody, nobody did what he did. And of course, everybody's emulated him since. There's an interesting thing uh, if you if you see later on my Instagram page, I found a little video clip uh, with Pat Riley and uh, and Al Michaels 
uh, talking about uh, talking about Chick and how his um, just his mastery of language, like it was just on a whole other level. Mm-hmm. How does it filming everything, the scripts? How does it compare to your memory of the Showtime Lakers? Because you grew up in Los Angeles, you said you went to some games. Like, how does it compare? You know, how surreal was it to kind of play Chick after going to games and hearing him and like seeing these guys play live and then seeing these younger guys? We've had Solomon Hughes on, we've had Jamel Hawkins yeah. on. Solomon and Jamel are two great guys. I mean, you oh. know, they do they do a great job in the show. You know, how does it compare actually living and growing up in this thing? I mean, I was 14, 15 when this was happening in 79, 80. So I was I was going to these games and I remember, I mean, I wasn't old enough to drive. I remember my mom would drop me off with a buddy. We she'd drop us off at the forum and pick us up a couple of late couple hours later. You'd go into the forum and it, it the the building was rumbling. The place was alive. It was electric. It was like going to a rock concert every time you saw a Laker game uh, in the forum. And there's Jack Nicholson and Diane Cannon and hey, there's Rod Stewart. And it was just like it wasn't just going to a sports event. It was going to a, an event. It was Showtime. And I was, even before the Showtime moniker was coined, you were just aware that you were part of something special. So recreating all of that stuff, that those memories from my childhood, being on a soundstage surrounded by 500 extras and a green screen, but these extraordinary actors running up and down the court playing basketball and I'm in period costume with the cans on and I'm watching it. It was like you're transported into a time capsule. You're transported into a into a into a time machine going back in time and and reliving this. It was surreal just being kind of feeling like you're a part of that and recreating that energy and that that magnetism and that aura that those guys created. It was uh, it was pretty wild. But talking about Solomon and Jamel, who so beautifully play. Kareem and uh, and and uh, Silk Wilkes, uh, those guys were not seasoned actors. I mean, those guys, you know. those guys came in, and there's a a certain purity and uh, innocence and and simplicity to their work. Those guys in particular, also Delante, who plays Cooper, who's got some good moments. Yeah. Um, uh, um, the guy who plays uh, Jim Jones, Newton Mayenge. All of these guys are not, they haven't been, they haven't been around for a long time. So their, their work as actors is, um, is really just so pure and it's so lovely to watch yeah. that, uh, you know, you, you, it's like you're, you're watching the guys themselves. And it's obviously, raw. obviously it's raw and obviously, but it's, but it's, but it's detailed. The work is detailed right. and obviously watch, watching Quincy as magic. I mean, it's like you're watching the guy himself. It's uncanny. Oh yeah, for sure. You mentioned something about being going back in like a time capsule. I, all three of us are actors as well. And yeah. for me, when I grew up, I always loved the, the thing that I can remember most when I, when I watched Band of Brothers as a kid, I was like, wow, that's so cool that these actors can go back in time and yeah. put on these war uniforms and go to these locations and like live those moments. Like that's really the only form of time travel that you can really get these days being an actor yeah. and going on to set and a period piece. And it seems like you've been able to do that a couple of times in your past, which is awesome. I've done a lot of period piece stuff. Just, just <laughs> uh, interesting. I mean, such a classic you, actor. Well, but I mean, it, thank you. But I mean, it's interesting that you bring that up because right before we came on, uh, I was talking to uh, the two, the two young men. I don't know if you you guys have all seen hoop dreams. Um, yeah. the, the great documentary uh, about Arthur A.G. and William Gates Jr. These two guys and the cameras followed them around in Chicago when they were boys and now they're grown men and they've got a podcast called Hoop Dreams. 
So I was talking to them earlier and it was interesting going back. We were talking about this idea of, you know, going back in a time capsule and recreating all that. But for me doing period stuff, I've done a lot of stuff that takes place in the thirties, forties, fifties, stuff like that. I, I just, I think it's just, uh, just luck, but, um, uh, playing guys like Sean Hannity or Bob Woodward or Joe McCarthy um, to get to go back in time and put on the clothes and walk in those shoes is uh, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's you guys all know. I mean, it's yeah. such a gift gift as an actor that we get to play dress up and go and, and, and play these kinds of roles. And so is, is check, there a period of time for me? Is there a period of time at all that you haven't played yet that you're looking to play? Um. I haven't played. I'm I'm very fond of uh, of Woody Allen's Midnight in Paris, Paris in the twenties. Yeah, that whole era. F. Scott Fitzgerald and and all those wonderful writers. Hemingway. I haven't done anything in the twenties. I've certainly done thirties, forties, fifties with McCarthy. A uh, lot of seventies, uh, some sixties. So yeah, but the the twenties and then earlier than that. Um, but uh, I haven't. That but I've, I've pretty much covered the entire twentieth century except for the twenties. Nice man. Yeah, HBO tends to do a lot of those twenties, uh, like yeah. Boardwalk Empire. Uh, there was yeah. one Jason Jason Clark just recently about the one who he was a um, investigator. I forgot what it was called. Um, regardless, regardless though, HBO tends to to use a lot of their actors in, in a lot of roles. So this kind of opens yeah. up the door for you, yeah. Jason and I met on. Uh, he's a he's a dear pal, and he's crushing it on the show. Yeah, uh, as, as you know. And uh, he and I met on a movie called Public Enemies in 20, yeah. 2007 uh, with Johnny Depp and uh, Marion Cotillard. And so that was like 1932. <laughs> we, we, met on, we met on that. And uh, he's one of our best actors. He's just incredible. So it's fun to be reunited with him. And also Rory Cochran, great actor Rory Cochran, who played Jerry Tarkanian in the first couple of episodes, uh, yeah, was yeah. also in Public Enemies. So we've had a nice kind of a nice reunion from that film uh, with the show. Mm, you, yeah, you mentioned on. oh go ahead josh no, i was gonna say being on other sets that are you know period pieces and kind of bioflix how did this one compare because mckay's style is so specific and it's so interesting it's very different than kind of almost anything we've ever seen before in film and television yeah i mean it's it, it, walk, walking onto the set every day uh, during obviously during COVID, it was a totally different vibe totally we're getting animal, yeah. we're getting tested every day it's not it didn't have the usual kind of jovial behind the scenes atmosphere where everybody's kind of hanging around uh, in their cast chairs and chatting. I mean, we're cut, we, we had head shields on, we had masks, shields, we're getting tested three times a week. So it added a different kind of element, a different vibe to showing up on set every day. Our makeup trailers, we were, the, I didn't see the lower half of my makeup artist's face until the day we wrapped. I, we we wrapped we wrapped in in October. I wrapped at like two o'clock in the morning, and uh, sorry about that. That's mom calling. I'll call her back. Um, but I didn't see the lower half of Jamie's face until she pulled her mask down uh, at two o'clock in the morning after six months of filming. So it it was a different kind of vibe. But um, I mean, do, working on a McKay project wasn't any different than working on a Michael Mann or a. Uh, a Mike Nichols or a Michael Bay. I mean, there it's it's long hours, it's hard work, it's discipline, and um, but in the case of McKay, it's just a lot of fun. I mean, we just had a hell of a lot of fun, as much as you were allowed to have fun with all of those restrictions. But um, 
it's like put it's like it was like making a feature film every week mm, yeah we had a different director every week uh we had we were sort of block shooting scenes so we had different directors for different blocks so we would have a director for two episodes and then another one would come in but it was like shooting a feature film um which was you know amazing we chatted a little bit at the top of the show before the show about one of the phenomenal actors on this cast adrian brody so you have a good mustache story from him let's, let's hear that mustache story well it's 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 a it's an interest it's a good story um it's a good story and a bad story but uh something happened we there was a scene i think it was the last episode we shot an entire sequence. Uh, Adrian, Adrian would not be fond of this story, but uh, it's, it's in such hindsight now that he might get a smile out of it. But there was, we shot an entire sequence uh, at a basketball game and 16 hour day, it was a scene where he and Jason Siegel are, are on the court and, uh, and they're getting worked up with one of the refs and Brody gets kicked out, he gets a tech and he gets kicked out of the game. And he had a mustache on his face, and uh, a couple of one of the one of the writers at late at night realized that they'd already shot the scene the day before, where he shaves off the mustache in the in the locker room. So it, he he he'd had his mustache on in a scene where he wasn't supposed to have a mustache. So we had, we had to at some point we had to go back and redo that, which was I'm sure the producers were not thrilled with, but. Um, the good, the upside to that story, they were Jason and Adrian were brilliant in that scene anyway. And when we had to go back a couple of weeks later and redo it again, they were even better. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a, a glitch that didn't get, uh, caught and it kind of slipped through the cracks and cause we were all exhausted and for whatever reason, nobody caught the mustache. And so we went back and reshot it without the mustache. Um, but it was actually an even better sequence the second time around. So shit happens, as they say. You mentioned uh, you mentioned Jason Siegel. I saw a clip of him the other day from back when he was on How I Met Your Mother, and he's arguing with a little kid about Jordan and, Le- and LeBron and who who he thinks is better, who's the, the true goat in basketball. And I, oh, yeah. I know he grew up playing basketball, and he's obviously on the side of, of Jordan because he's the older of the of the two. The kid, of course, loves LeBron. He's getting so animated in this argument. And, and the reason why I bring this up is I think that you mentioned, you know, you watched the Lakers growing up. How important to you and for this project and for other projects is that kind of tangible connection to what the, the, the main genre or topic of, of the show or film is so that you can connect to that and then dive deeper into it? Like, was that something that you were really gravitating towards through your performance in, in Chick is, is your love for basketball? I'm assuming you love basketball. Did you love it before? The Showtime. Like I did. Yeah. I've always loved basketball. I mean, I grew up as a, I'm. I grew up primarily as a baseball guy. Uh, oddly enough, growing up in L.A., I was. I mean, I was a Dodger fan, but I also lived back and forth between L.A. and New York. And the Yankees were my team, even though I lived in L.A. So, um, and I used to take a lot of crap for that uh, in elementary school because I was rooting for. It was the era of Reggie Jackson and Thurman Munson, and the you know the 1970s Yankees were were amazing. Um, and then the 1970s Dodgers with Steve Garvey and Ron Say and all Davey Lopes, all those guys. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was a sports guy, base, but mostly a baseball guy. But uh, I love my Lakers. And um, so in terms of authenticity and trying to get it right, I'm, I guess I mean, your question is uh, an obligation to to be faithful to the source material and faithful to 
the times and 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 get it exactly right. Uh, absolutely. I mean that there's every single actor that would step onto that stage would say the same thing, trying to trying to recreate the that ambiance and that vibe. Um, we all and certainly as as Chick Hearn, I have always felt very protective of him, and so I felt an obligation to get him exactly right. Um, my my job, my responsibility as an actor is to honor the source material. And I'm playing somebody, I'm playing somebody who is revered and iconic. And there's a statue of him in front of the, the crypto arena. His jersey hangs in the rafters. So um, I, I really wanted to make sure that, uh, and his granddaughter is is around. Uh, and I became friends with her before we shot mm, the pilot. Nice. So I really wanted to, I really wanted to honor Chick Hearn in, with my portrayal. Mm-hmm. So has that, that has that fanhood continued? Since you were a kid, do you still, you know, pay attention to MLB, NBA? Oh, sure. Bas- oh. College, college oh, yeah. basketball. Oh, I, know, well, I know you're a Duke yeah. guy. Yeah. 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 Well, I was, yeah. was going to actually ask you, I mean, you, you grew up going to Lakers games. Yeah. How does that compare going to Duke games? Well, I didn't get, I wasn't, I, I went to Duke before they really became the dynasty that yeah. they were in the, in the early nineties. I mean, I was there. I think I was there in Coach K's first year. They weren't really great the first couple of years I was there. <laughs> I left in 85. They they started to really hit their groove in 89, 90, something like that, with Leitner and Hurley and, and all those cats. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I've been a diehard Duke fan ever since. Uh, so, but going to Duke games, obviously, was something that became increasingly harder and harder to do. Uh, I've gone to maybe five games since I left there in 85. Oh, wow. I never, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a one who likes to camp out in Shashevskyville. That's not my jam. So if I knew somebody that had tickets, I would, I would go. Uh, but I mean, you see them, the camped out for days. And I actually was lucky enough to go uh, a good buddy of mine, Kenny Denard, who played on the NCAA championship team in 78. Uh, he went to every single home game in Duke's last year, every single game that coach K wow. at home coached at Cameron. So, uh, so I got to go to a couple of games with Kenny at Duke. I flew back to Durham and, and got to go and, uh, you know, sit right there on the floor, like right in the thick of it. So that was a thrill. So yeah, I'm still, and I'm, I'm obviously with John Shire coming in as coach, I'm going to be every bit as supportive. Uh, it was a bummer way to end the season. Uh, losing to Carolina is never fun, but losing in their last game and, and coach K's farewell game, uh, is definitely, definitely, definitely stings. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, who's gonna play him in the biopic when they do? Coach a- K, me, yeah, yeah. Hey. <laughs> love it. Yeah. yeah, I mean he's he's got I got a you know I've got that chick her nose and Coach K's got a similar nose, so I can just I can just hire the same makeup lady and just jump right into that. Yeah, and not and not see her face until the last day for good luck. That'd be that's how that, <laughs> that's how that's how we'll do it. I'm here well, for it. I mean, sports yeah. tell such a beautiful story. Did you have a favorite sports film or a favorite sports television show, you know, obviously prior to being a part of winning time? Uh, Brian's song. You guys know Brian's song. Yeah. With, yeah. with, with James Conn and Billy D Williams. It was about, uh, about uh, the friendship between uh, Brian Piccolo and Gail Sayers who played yeah. for the Chicago bears. Beautiful. It was a movie of the week. It was a television movie. It was in, I want to say 75 or something Tra- like that. Tragically beautiful. I'd tragically say. beautiful. Yeah. It's one of those, it's one of those movies. If, 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 if you don't cry at the end of that movie, you don't have a pulse. Um, just a beautiful film. That's one of the great sports films for me. 
I love I love Hoosiers. I love Rudy. Um, gosh, Pride of the Yankees. I mean, going back to I mean that's way before all of our time, but it's a great a great film, um, great baseball movie. I'm I'm a I'm a sucker for any great sports film. I just watched The Natural a couple of weeks ago for the first time in a long that's time. That's awesome. Yeah, love that film. So the yeah, I, I, the rebooting Field of Dreams, limited series. It. Yeah, they're oh they're turning it into a series. Oh, that's yep. interesting. Yeah. That's the very that's the first movie that I ever auditioned for. The really? my very my very first Hollywood audition for a role in a movie uh, was for the role that went, ultimately went to Frank Whaley, the kid who's hitchhiking in Field of Dreams, who becomes the younger version. He's the younger version of Burt Lancaster. That was wow. my first audition when I first came to L.A. Yeah, Josh and I both uh, got reached out to by our reps. <laughs> they're like, "You don't happen to be left-handed, do you?" And we're both like, "No, we're righties." He goes, "Oh, Shoeless Joe Jackson. That's that breakdown just came out for him. Needed they needed a lefty." Wow, interesting. <laughs> yeah, interesting. I, like, I told my I told my rep, I'm like, I'm barely a righty. There's no chance I'm a lefty. <laughs> Are you guys ball players though? Are you baseball players? No, nah, I, I was a. I wrestled when I was younger, and I got hurt, and then I went I to was. theater. Yeah, Nick and Alex were ball players. I just yeah. talk. I just talk ball. That's real. Way. Real quickly, while we were just talking right now, I thought of a good Mike Shusevsky actor to play in the biopic. Steve Carell. Not Spencer Garrett. All right, fine. Yeah. Nick, we, you're, we, you're gonna dish our boy like that? Come on, man. Like him. Just like him. We love I'm Steve right Carell, but he's he's Carell's done enough. Let him. Let him. Steve let Carell him. would be good. Steve Carell would be good. I. I. Uh, okay. All he'd right. Be, well, he'd we, be good, but he. Would he be great? Spencer would be great. That's he, what we know. Know. It would be great. Steve and I would. Steve and I would have to duke it out. Um, but uh, to, nice. feel the dreams. Nice. Just, uh, duke it out. There you go. I mean, yeah. I just, I just, I just, quick. I just, hey, I just that's why you're playing chick, man. I just quick teed with it. it up. Just teed <laughs> it up. Um, but going back to Field of Dreams, I mean, that's obviously that's in my top five. Mm. That's, uh, I mean, every and I've seen it fifty times, maybe more. Uh, but every time when that movie at the very end, when Costner says, dad, you want to have a catch? And, you know, and I just, it's like, ah, um, and it's beautiful. The fact that Gabby Hoffman who plays right? little Blair, is, is now in winning time is awesome. Full circle, circle of life. Circle of life. Baby. It is crazy. Circle yeah. of life. Yeah. I mean, and what hair, my favorites remember the Titans. I was going to get the, the last play. They run the X's and nose on my leg, but I feel like that's a terrible tattoo, but Wood Harris obviously uh, does a masterful yes. job. Remember the I've seen yes. that. I've probably seen that as much as I've seen uh, field of dreams. Um, the, that's a great film. Great. What are some like things you picked up? Obviously, you know, you've been around the business for so long. I've done again, like you've been in theater. You're doing another, you're doing a play upcoming with Jason Alexander, which we saw, which congratulations. Uh, Thanks. Gonna, hopefully it's going to be great. Um, what are some things that you feel, you picked up on working with Jason Siegel, Adrian Brody, things they picked up from you kind of working with those guys compared to uh, some other actors you've worked with. I don't know if they, what they picked up from me. I, but <laughs> I cert, certainly um, I've certainly learned from, from them. I mean, Adrian is a master craftsman. I mean, he's really a very meticulous artist and uh, just, we had two really terrific scenes uh, together in episode three and episode five. Uh, the one where I'm, dyeing my hair that was the first time we actually met we met long long time ago but we didn't really know each other so we met that day and we sat in our trailer uh so i sat in his trailer drinking a cup of coffee with him and running that scene over and over and over trying to figure out how to find the music of it and we shot we shot that scene that night and i remember we were both just giddy i think it was his first scene as well i think that was adrian's first scene shooting on the show as well and we were both just so 
juiced because we just found this great vibe and we found the chick pat relationship like right there within the couple of hours that we shot that scene so that was a lot of fun and then just watching him uh when we did episode five the scene with the fisting here's my hand here's my fist uh, we shot that in a really enclosed space um and try and it was a room filled with mirrors and I remember the camera operator trying to figure out how to shoot the scene in a, in a room with a lot of mirrors and Adrian, because he's such a pro been around a long time. He knew exactly where the camera needed to be. And it was like 1130 at night when we were shooting that we'd been around all day long. And Adrian just kind of uh, just kind of found the choreography of the scene. And we, we just, it was just a great dance every once in a while. You guys know when you're working with somebody, and you're in a scene and you're in a flow and you're in a groove, it's like dancing. And so acting with him is really like, it's been a great dance. Adrian and I have, I mean, uh, Jason and I haven't had a lot of stuff together yet. I hope we will season two. Um, but most of my stuff really has been with Adrian or with uh, John C and Jason, like in the boardroom there. But uh, uh, I'm, listen, I, I'm, I'm fans of all these guys. I, I, I have so so much admiration for every single one of these actors. I'm just, I just feel uh, blessed to be able to, uh, you know, to, to be able to dance on the same uh, dance floor as them. I feel like Adrian, like if I had to describe it, he has such like a, I don't know, you guys correct me if I'm wrong here, but like a peaceful dominance, like to his performances where, where it like That's really great. like, which is the embodiment of Riley, right? Like if you watch him you, even still on the sidelines, you're like, that call. guy just, he represents power. Like, and I don't know how to, really put but, it to but you terms, see but but like, you see um how there's a real ease about him the way he mm -hmm. plays riley there's a real he's the he's the coolest motherfucker i've ever met yeah. um he's got such a cool vibe about him and he brings that ease to his performance as riley he's just really cool and uh there's no bullshit but he's got real he's got real swagger and 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 of course riley has that when you see you see the, 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 the nascent beginnings of Riley when he starts to kind of play around with his hair and comb the hair back. And every once in a while, every episode, he'll like, there's a little peek in a mirror and you'll see this. And then eventually, obviously you'll see the transformation, but um, he just has a real ease about him. Um, so does Jason as well. I mean, mm -hmm. but uh, Jason, Jason Siegel, but watching, watching Adrian find this character and slip into his, uh, slip into the into the, the the clothes and find the nuances of Riley has really been it's a real kind of lesson for me as an actor. I've been doing this 35 years and I always like to learn from whoever I'm working with. But um, watching John C and watching Adrian and watching Jason and even Gabby, who, you know, we all grew up. We grew up with her watching Field of Dreams and now to see her as a grown woman and see her just crush it as Claire. You, you just like I just sit and it's just like. I'm getting free acting classes. Yeah. Yeah. So but that's how it always, even for us too. Like, I mean, we've, this is our, it's our 438th episode. It's really? Like, yeah. 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 I mean, we've like, we've interviewed, you know, and like change. We've had some specials here and, and there. Specials, We're probably like 450. Plus, yeah. Plus we do a Texas podcast. We do national radio, ESPN radio. I mean, we've done this so many times, yeah. but there's still times where we'll watch other people interview people and be like, oh, okay, I like the way, like, like, why do I want, like I watch Howard Stern and it's like, okay, the way he asks questions, he's so fearless in the way he asks questions. And Joe Rogan is so kind of like in a weird way, like 
quiet but powerful at the same time the way you're describing pat riley because he'll mm-hmm. he's so well researched he's so comfortable and leaning on the guests and kind of just nudging them along and you kind of pick up these little things which is like you always want as an artist you always and you can speak to this right you just you know mentioned like you've been doing this for 30 plus years but you always want to keep getting better because there's always going to be that next role that you could take what you've learned from the last one i think one thing that you guys do so well on the show if i may say we've kind of danced around it you know kind of no pun intended to what you just said before about dancing with um, Adrian Brody is the status. There's so many different statuses and people that don't know acting, you know, or haven't taken an acting class or lessons before. I mean, there's that old, I don't know if you've done it, Spencer or you guys, but they'll give you a deck of cards and you hold up a card when you're a young kid, you'll hold up a card to your head and whoever's got the ace, you have to treat them like the ace, the king and so on and so forth. And like, you don't know what you are, but you could tell by the way people treat you in status and it teaches you. Yeah kind of it is a very human thing that we actors can get lost and kind of try to play the our part and do the lines but the way you guys play status with each other i think is really well done amongst the seasoned actors you know obviously the players the younger guys are getting used to it and they play these larger than life figures like kareem and magic but we never knew we don't our generation doesn't know pat riley as that as kind of broken trying to latch on to something yeah i mean he was he was wandering around the beach looking for his second act and then, and then he comes into Chick's office in episode three, kind of hat in hand, um, and says, I, can, I have a, can you give me a break? I need a break. And Chick was a guy who not a lot of people know. Chick was, the, he was one of the general managers of the team. He was instrumental in recruiting people. He wasn't just the voice. He wasn't just the broadcaster, but he was part of the, the front office. So he had status. He had, he had a certain amount of, uh, of, uh, of stature with the Lakers. So... He's up here and Riley is coming in here saying, you know, I need a, I need a hand. I need a leg up. And uh, he played that sort of deferential quality to Chick so beautifully. And then you start to see his confidence grow. And in the scenes with, with Siegel, uh, this back and forth that he and Jason have, and he's like shaking Jason Siegel, trying to wake him up and trying to get his, his confidence lit trying to get that fire lit under his ass. Um, so it is, it's all about, it's interesting you bring that up. I mean, there's so many kind of hierarchical tropes that run throughout this show, not just not just race, class, but also just in terms of uh, Jerry Buss is the kingpin and everybody works under him and everybody's kind of jockeying for position. It's, you know, in, in a lot of ways, it's like succession with yep. basketball. With and it's crazy. Or Game of Thrones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And a lot of the actors that are put in place don't necessarily typically play those kinds of roles. Like John C. Right. Riley is typically not this guy, which is what makes it very like it makes it because you, you look, you see him in Chicago and you see him in Step Brothers, and you see that range, and you're like, oh yeah, know, oh the range is the range is stupid. The range is off the charts. Yeah, with him. Yeah, you never see him as like like Doctor. He like Doctor Bus is like you know, for lack of a better word, like sexy and cool, and like he yeah. is, he's like me. But that's what he is. He's Showtime Lakers. You yeah. Know? So it's definitely like really interesting to kind of watch these guys work. And you as an actor, man, like how important is it because you're about to do this play? How important is it to kind of go back to theater? You know, you do film, you do television. How important is it for you to kind of go back and do theater as much as you can? It's it's essential. It's like breathing. I mean, I haven't been on I haven't been on stage in nine years. Uh, yeah it's been a while i mean it's been a while i've been i've been thank god i've been busy doing other stuff um but when you're in la and you're trying to look for the next tv gig or next film or whatever doing theater is really a luxury that sometimes you can't afford 
um, and I mean afford pointing to my wallet. So <laughs> it's got to be it's got to be something really that you're in love with. It's got to be something that you really really want to do. So um, I'm 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 choosy about the theater stuff that I do only because sometimes I don't have. Uh, a lot of theater in Los Angeles. Where are you guys, by the way? Are you in L.A.? Where are you? Yep. LA. So, yeah, I'm from New York, and I actually just got back to New York from New York the other yeah. day. So I'm a New York kid. I've seen Broadway, off-Broadway, straight plays a million times. Yeah. And, you know, it's so, you know, so as an actor in L.A., you don't you don't always have the luxury of being able to do even if it's some wonderful piece of writing that you want to do running in some black box theater for three months for 20 bucks a show. Uh, it's we've all done. I did it in my twenties and thirties, but sometimes you don't always have the time to be able to devote to that. So uh, this is something I knew. I knew that winning time was going to be coming back at the end of July uh, for season two. I, I, you never count on anything, but I assume that we're going to have a second season. Thank so God. when this, Oh yeah, buddy. I mean, listen, I, I hope uh, we, I hope we get a chance to tell this story till it's completion. I mean, the book takes place. Jeff Perlman's Showtime book takes place until goes up to 85, 86. So I hope we get to at least three or four seasons to tell the whole tale. Um, but uh, this play fell in my lap. Jason asked me if I wanted to do this play in New York with him. He's an old pal. And I just said, yes, when let's go. But I've been Love jonesing it. to get, I've been jonesing to get back on stage for a long time. So this That's is awesome. uh, yeah. Where, where can the listeners uh, find you? We're going to be actually. We're going to New York next week. We're rehearsing in the city at uh, the base. We're rehearsing at Manhattan Theater Club. But then the actual run of the play is a beautiful theater in Sag Harbor in the Hamptons. Uh, it's called the Bay Street Playhouse, and um, we're and it's uh, we're running May twenty fifth until June twentieth. So it's in Sag Harbor, out and there's you know Southampton, East Hampton. You're a New Yorker. You know it's you know where it is. So we're running, uh, we're running there for six weeks. Um, so gonna that's going to be fun. Are you going to stay out there? Yeah, we're staying. They're putting the actors up in a house in Southampton. Wow. And uh, I know, I know. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> My cry, guy. Yeah, cry me, cry me a river. I know. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, I love SAG Harbor, man. SAG, Southampton. Yeah. I got buddies and places out there. Yeah. That's, that's most of my favorite stuff, man. So that's good. Oh, yeah. so, that is such a cool place to do a play. That's it's going to awesome. be nice. I mean, also, but also just rehearsing in the city for two weeks. And then we'll move out to the we'll move out to the island and do the show out there. So oh, it's perfect. And then I come back and uh, I've, I've got a month. Uh, I'm going to do a little I'm going to do a movie when I get back uh, in a little window, um, June 25th, something like that. I've got a little two week window to, to sneak in a movie and then we go right back into season it. two at the end of July. The so grind you, guys, stop. you guys rap blonde, right? Uh, yeah, we rap we rap blonde. Shoot, we rap blonde. Three years ago, it's been. I don't know what's taking him so long. I can't wait to see that thing. It's Adrian's in it. Uh, Bobby Cannavale, uh, great cast with it's Ana de Armas playing uh, yep. playing Marilyn Monroe. Right. So yeah, yeah. See, see that thing twice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> wait till you see. Wait till you see Ana de Armas as Marilyn Monroe. Incredible, just yeah, incredible. I'm sure she's so. Uh, uh, and a a Adrian and I didn't have any scenes together, so we didn't meet on that set. But we yeah, we shot that three years ago. I'm not sure what's taking so long. I think it's coming out in the next couple of months on, uh, on Netflix. That's awesome. I love that. We got, yeah. we got, we got two more, two more questions for you. And then the same Yo. vein. Uh, the first one is what's your favorite set memory from this show? From this show? Um, probably the pilot. We shot it. We shot a sequence 
uh, in the pilot that didn't make it to the pilot. It didn't make it to air, unfortunately, um, for time reasons. But uh, Magic has come to the team. There's a summer league game uh, that uh, that they filmed. We shot it at East L.A. College, and and I'm calling the game as Chick, and it's my first time as Chick on camera, and it's literally like up and down, back and forth across the court, um, and it was like 25 pages of just nonstop talking. And I went to McKay the day before, or the day before, and I and I'd been like racking my brain trying to get all of this memorized. And um, long story short, this is a little like how the sausage is made. But um, when you're talking about dialogue, where you're basically saying different variations on the same thing over and over, magic to green, green to magic, magic to Cooper, Cooper to magic. Like it's, it's hard for that to glue into your brain. So I went to uh, one of the PAs and I said, can you put this dialogue up on cards? And so they ended up putting all the dialogue up on a dolly track. And so as the guys are running up and down uh, the court, I'm calling the game and I'm reading it off the, off the cards. It's an enormous amount of dialogue. And it was my first time doing this. So they were like, that's a great idea. Love it. And we did it in one take. And it was just, and I was just exasperated. I was exhausted when we were done. And and I, the feeling was so exhilarating because I'd gotten through it. And McKay was on the other side of the basketball court. And he had he was directing, he had a, 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 a like a microphone. He was over a loudspeaker. And, uh, and he said, ladies and gentlemen, Spencer Garrett. And all the extras stood up and applauded. And, oh. and I just thought, oh man, I can't believe I got through that. <laughs> and, uh, and it was such a, but it was such a nice moment. I thought, okay, that was my baptism by fire on this show. Yeah, and uh, nice. I, I was nervous and I, you know, I had to prove myself and, uh, and we got through that and that, and that sort of became the template for how I would call the games later down the road. Um, Cause it's an, it's enormous. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of ADR. There's a lot of looping as well where I'm doing the dialogue uh, where we record in the studio, but, but yeah, uh, McKay kind of acknowledging the effort and the extras getting up and applauding. And I just, and I kind of stood up as chick and I, little hat tip to everybody it was a nice moment so that's my favorite memory a lot of good memories but that's the that's the that's the one that stands out because the first day on a set you ne you never know what's going to happen and i unpredictable, yeah. unpredictable and i go back to my first day on the set with glenn close on air force one and i had to run across the white house lawn as a helicopter is landing and i had to hit the right mark right as the helicopter hit the ground and, and, I, and I escort Glenn Close out of the helicopter. And we had to do it several times just to get the timing right. And, um, and she turned to me at one point and she said, she said, wow, I'm glad we got through that. I'm really nervous. And I said, you're Glenn Close. And she said, yeah, I'm really fucking nervous. I'm glad we got through that. So it's the, that first day jitters. It's like, uh, oh, yeah. similar. Yeah. Just the first day jitters, just getting it out, just getting it out of your body and getting it over with. And then you could move on. So, and I just thought, if 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 Glenn Close can be nervous around me, then then I'm going to be okay. They all yeah. get nervous at some points, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, oh is. yeah. We're if human. you don't, you're not. If you don't get nervous, you're not alive. Yeah. yeah Jerry exactly. Rice used to throw up before every game because he cared so much. That's why I yep. look at him. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Um, all right, T. You want to give him the last one, man? Yeah. Yeah. We got your uh, your favorite set memory. Uh, you gave us a, a free one too, which was nice. But we'd love to hear your favorite sports memory. It could be 
you watching, you playing as a kid, um, anything in that realm, what is your favorite sports memory, Spencer? Uh, the first thing that popped into my head, I'm playing, I'm playing little league in, <laughs> uh, in, in Barrington park, uh, in 1970 something I'm 11. No, I'm 12 years old. I'm playing for the Yankees. Uh, and I'm playing, I'm playing short for the Yankees, my little league team and balls popped up in the air. And it was like a big news, bad news bears moment. Balls popped up in the air and you know, all the parents are there, everybody's watching. And, and I was, I was, I was not a great athlete. I've never been a great athlete. And I was, and I just remember seeing the ball come down in slow motion and, you know, and everybody, everything, but everything stops and you see the ball come down and the ball hits my glove and it bounces out and it bobbles and it, and I it must have bobbled about four or five times until I finally caught it. And the whole, and the whole, you know, all the parents like erupted, like, thank God, thank God the kid <laughs> caught the ball. And it was like for the winning out. And uh, so that's, that's, that was my, that was my, uh, my bad news bears memory bobbling the ball and then catching it. Um, Cause it could have gone a whole other way. I have, the, things, the, I have something so similar the, to that. The, the coach, school. the coach of the team yeah. was also the father of one of the kids on the team. And that guy, that coach was the Vic Morrow character from bad news bears. Like he would yell at his son. Oh, on, uh, awful. He, uh, those dads. You know, I mean, he would yell at his son on the field from the sidelines. He was a prick. And I'm I sure just that kid remember cried that, a lot, right? Oh yeah. And you know, and I just thought, please catch this ball so I don't get yelled at by this <laughs> asshole. Did you did you it. catch it with your your non-glove hand or your glove? Did it go back in the glove? I I caught it with my ear. It landed right it landed David, right David in my, Tyree. You David, David Tyree. Tyree. I did. It landed right in my ear and I balanced it. No, I caught it with my glove eventually. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> I think I, I mean I think it. I fell, I fell on the ground. I mean, I made a whole show out of it. Yeah. And then, yeah. I, and then, and then once I caught it, I remember kind of like doing like a little barrel roll on the ground just to, and just to you, kind of. You, you looked at the second baseman and you were like, "I should be an actor." That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it all started. So I, I, have, like, I have, this a, kid I have a very, stuff. very similar story. In, in freshman year of high school, someone threw me a pass football game, and I tipped it this way, tipped it that way, tipped it back this way, brought it in. And the entire time it was in slow motion. All I could hear was the crowd going, Oh, 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 oh with every oh, single tip. Oh, I oh, caught yeah. it, brought it in and took it to the house for a touchdown. I, it's actually on video. Like I have to show these guys nice. at some point, but oh, yeah, it's very yeah. similar. Love to see that film. Uh, I could, we got to keep a tally of all how, how many of these are little league memories. Cause it's starting to get kind of high. It's crazy. Like we had miles, yeah. miles Turner who plays for the Pacers. Yeah, his, his was in like, look, we're all we're Longhorns. All three of us are Texas Longhorns. He's an NBA player, like top tier defensive guy. And his is like Little League. And I was like, and it's just so crazy. Some of these guys, pro athletes, like still love Little League. Spencer, wow. thank you so much for joining us, man. You're guys. Delight. We love to have you. We love you on winning time. It's all great, man. It's all great. Thank you, fellas. Uh, the butter is hard. I'm waiting for that podcast. Look, that the jello the, is jiggling, baby. The butter is hard. The jello butter's, butter's getting hard. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I will. I will leave you. This game is. This podcast is in the refrigerator. The lights are out. The door is closed. The butter's getting hard. The eggs are cooling, and the Jello is jiggling. Thank you, Spencer Garrett. Please check her in on HBO's Wing Time. The man. Thank you. Love you guys.
This show is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag today. Use the promo code BELIEVE and get 50% off your first deposit. So whatever your first deposit is at BetOnline.ag, and you could bet on anything. Futures for MLB. NBA playoffs is right around the corner. Actually, it's here. It's upon us. Playing games start tonight. So go to BetOnline.ag. Use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V. Get 50% off your first deposit. Thanks for joining us. We outcha. We love you. Fans out there, drag both feet about swinging a full count with that puck at that putt. Hit your PKs because they're free. Hit your free throws because they are free. Hook them. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.